On behalf of the people and clergy of St. Luke's Church, we welcome you, those who are part of our life all the time, and those of you who may be visiting, seeking, passing through, whatever. We welcome all who worship, all who doubt, and all who would move from fear to faith. So tonight I'm going to talk about stuff that I always talk about on Christmas, which are the four affirmations that I think are so important. But it's also important to say something about the great days and seasons in Christianity, being a liturgical church, and how they're sort of the signposts along the way through the year that point us to some of the deep themes of Christian faith and life, and in some way may point us in big and small ways to how each one of us is necessary to achieve God's purposes for the cosmos. I always use the term cosmos in Christmas, not because I'm a fan of Carl Sagan necessarily, <laughs> because it's a wonderful word. In, in Greek, it means order. And it also can mean ornament. And since it's Christmas, thinking about ornaments uh, is a nice thing. And each one of us is in some way one of God's ornaments. One of the challenges that preachers face, and in fact institutional Christianity or institutional religion of other kinds these days, is that we're in the midst of a huge amount of skepticism about everything, but certainly about religion. And there are a lot of people who believe that we're just simply wasting our time. I want to recommend a book. I may recommend another book in the course of this sermon. But uh, you should get a copy of Stephen Prothero's book, uh, Religious Literacy. He teaches at Boston College, religion. And he got so tired of having undergraduates who didn't know Bean when the bag was open about religion that he wrote this book. America is one of the most religious countries in the world, and it is also one of the most religiously ignorant countries in the world. Now, those who uh, feel smug and say, well, I don't want to have anything to do with religion, Alan Jones, the former dean of Grace Cathedral, used to say, we're all fundamentalists about whatever it is we believe in and hold uh, in some way dear or feel superior because we have those views. Prothero would say in studies that have been done uh, that uh, the mo when people are asked, what is the most frequently quoted passage in the Bible? 40% of the respondents say, God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> The rest know the real one, you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. That former passage doesn't occur in the Bible. Benjamin Franklin <laughs> wrote that. So just so you know, you can keep that on ice. Forty percent of those responding to the questionnaire believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. <laughs> Forty percent of the population believe the world is 6,000 years old. 
So this is a commercial message for being a student about the deep things of Christian faith. I have people say to me these days, more often than I used to when I was a younger priest, uh, something very similar to what um, Julian Barnes in his book, Nothing to be Frightened of, his autobiography, an English writer. His brother Jonathan Barnes is a famous philosopher in England. And he says, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. That's what I say when the question is put. I ask my brother, who has taught philosophy at Oxford, Geneva, and the Sorbonne, what he thought of such a statement. Without revealing that it was my own, he replied with a single word, soppy. <laughs> but isn't that the question where the rubber meets the road for many of us in some way? How do we understand what that all might mean for us? So let me move to the four affirmations that are so important uh, during the Christmas season and moving in uh, through Epiphany. We celebrate this time of year on Christmas the birth of the Savior, but we celebrate primarily the goodness of our humanity. We celebrate the possibility that all of us can achieve the highest of our human potentiality. We celebrate the fact that it is possible for people to be joyful. And we celebrate the fact that Christian men and women need to be people of peace. And there hasn't been a time in recent memory, in my view, when we need a little peacemaking going on in this country. Don't you think? So when we talk about the goodness of our humanity, we have to say something about uh, the way in which we understand how God made the world in the biblical narrative. You know, the Bible, by the way, is not a science text. The creation account in Genesis is not a science text. It's about how we understand God's movement uh, on, the, on the deep things of human life and how we understand that and how the affirmation that God loves us and forgives us and accepts us unconditionally is something that is extremely important, something that we need to understand. My son, some of you know this, live in Canada, live in British Columbia in North Vancouver, as a matter of fact. And uh, there is a famous uh, First American, they say, uh, First Nations leader in North Vancouver who is the chief of the Salat tribe. And he spends a lot of time now working with troubled youth in his tribe. And he says, his name is Chief Leonard George. Some of you may have known his father, Chief Dan George, who was in a couple of movies, The Outlaw of Josie Wales and a few other things. He said when he thinks about those kids, he said his wish for, the, for them is that when they get up in the morning and look in the mirror, they love, honor, and celebrate what they see. I hope we all do that. 
or we try. And we do it in the sure confidence that God loves us unconditionally. And that when we affirm that, we affirm the goodness of our humanity. When we talk about the ability to achieve the highest of our human potential, it is the ways and the means for how we cooperate with the goodness inside us. Those of you who hear me preach all the time know that I talk a lot about Father Thomas Keating, the great Trappist monk and one of the originators of what is now called contemplative prayer. And he always says, we are not God, but our true self is God. And when we get in touch with that center, we begin to understand how we in some way can reflect back to others uh, the practical wisdom and the ways and the means that we have learned through our own lives of how to be the best human being that we can be. In Christianity, uh, joyfulness is not some giddy hilarity. I always think of Snoopy, right? Joyful Snoopy. Joy in the Christian sense, in the spiritual, emotional, and mental sense of how Christians talk about it, has to do with the sure and steady confidence that the conundrums, the uncertainties, the ambiguities, and the difficulties of life are going to come into sheerer, uh, clearer and uh, purpose for how you understand what to do and where to go and how to proceed and how to stay focused as you do that. When I say that we ought to be people of peace, I mean that we need to understand the power of the peace of God. You know, we say peace on earth. There's a lot of peace on earth in Christmas time, and we talk about that. Jesus would have used a word that you've heard before called shalom. It's a word that has far richer meaning than the English word peace. Here are some definitions. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. It's a pretty powerful concept, isn't it? And as we mature spiritually, we may find some of those qualities more accessible than we used to. The priest I began my ministry with in Tucson, Arizona, used to say, Christian people are inchers. We make progress slowly, but we're armed with these four affirmations. And they move through the year. We don't focus on them uh, through the year all the time. But the goodness of our humanity, the ability to achieve the highest of our human potential, the possibility of being joyful. You know, most people in the helping professions, I, I know some of you sitting here know, that sometimes you work with people who have been through things that would make your hair stand on end. 
and you wonder what in the world, how have they made this? How have they made it and been able to remain joyful and cheerful in the midst of all this? Right? Well, perhaps it's the result of something that's bigger than they are and outside themselves and they've connected with it in some way and they serve as an inspiration for all people. So as you continue through the Christmas season, uh, think about the shalom of God being a model of human interaction and something that will help you achieve <clears throat> internal balance and serenity. Remember, God knows each of you by name and loves you unconditionally. And that's perhaps the best Christmas present of all. Amen.